Welcome to the Disco Posse Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for the GC on demand, then you found the freshly rebranded Disco Posse Podcast. Go to discopossepodcast.com for details. to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. So my name is Eric Wright. I am a Disco Posse uh, in the uh, Green Circle community. I am at Disco Posse on Twitter. Uh, and uh, as you know from here, we've talked a lot about you know different community features and and folks from the community and and technologies that they're using and 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 everything. So it's it's cool when we get to dive in. You know, we started off with talking about automation uh, with Rob Nelson in, in the first episode, and that was really cool. And I wanted to go much more into other areas, and so that's why I'm super happy today uh, because we have with us Jonathan Frappier. Uh, who of V Brown Bag fame and and much more? Uh, Jonathan's a great technologist, and and uh, uh, I've been lucky enough to have you know met him and known him for a while. So Jonathan, if you want to introduce yourself, talk about where we can find you online and such, and then we're gonna dig it a little into automation. Sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. So my name's Jonathan Frappier. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at jfrappier, and I believe that's also my GitHub uh, account. So if you're uh, Looking for any automation things, uh, I'm starting to uh, put a little bit more there and on my blog as well, uh, birdexpert.com. Excellent. And again, you know, that's my favorite thing is hearing more and more of our of our folks that came from sysadmin backgrounds leading with a GitHub uh, account. And that's that's awesome. You know, infrastructure as code is kind of the the new the new you know buzzwordish thing that people are attaching to things, but it's true. You know, we're seeing really cool things. So let's talk about you know, automation with you. You know, what what brought you to automation? Uh, what brought me to automation? Uh, I need to stay relevant for about 15 more years at least before uh, before the mortgage <laughs> is paid off and uh, my daughter's going to head into college and I'll have a whole new set of loans. So uh, really it's... Uh, I kind of see the light coming uh, that the days of the GUI admin are over. Uh, it, you know, it's kind of here. The uh, as Active Directory did, you know, in the early 2000s, you could have made a career between 2000 2003 on just knowing Active Directory, uh, and that shifted over the years, and then became you could make a career on just knowing VMware, uh, and that's uh, pretty much gone today. And now we're kind of in this area. Uh, heard a lot of different terms for it, but full stack engineer seems to be the one that everyone's excited over, uh, where you know uh, enough about Active Directory, you know enough about VMware, but you've also got to take that step into knowing the uh, applications that are running on it, how they're deployed, how they're maintained, uh, and being able to support all of that. So in order to get to that level, you've really got to start automating your infrastructure and making sure that uh, 
whether it's an OpenStack instance or a, a VMware or vCloud Air virtual machine is deployed consistently the same way every single time because your applications rely on certain things to be there under the covers. Now, the consistency is is a big piece of it, right? Because we've seen, you know, this idea of recipe-driven approaches because then you know, uh, you know, this is the stuff that we talked about with business continuity back in the day, right? It was like making it, you know, a, not just a script, like a paper script, but a literal, you know, make infrastructure script so that we could automate failovers and do these things. And it became about, you know, sort of protection. And then they realized we should do this every day. You know, why aren't we doing our production? If we're building these development environments in and disaster recovery environments, we should build our production stuff. And it becomes this, well, if you use the recipe every time, then you know exactly what to expect, right? Exactly. And, uh, you know, for folks that are coming from the sysadmin world, I spent 15 years on the customer side before I, I, I made the jump over to the, the vendor side of the world. Uh, I was supporting Active Directory every day and vCenter and ESXi host every day. Uh, so it seems scary. Uh, but there's a lot of great tools, even just from VMware, that you can get started with that are generally portable into uh, other tools. So if you start with PowerShell and PowerCLI today, uh, if you're not doing any automation, that's a great way to start to learn uh, and start to automate some of the routine tasks that you're doing. You know, look in your help desk ticketing system or whatever whatever you're using to keep track of requests or bugs or problems and start writing PowerCLI or PowerShell scripts to take care of those things. Uh, and you'll likely be able to reuse uh, them as a whole, if not parts of them, you know, as you kind of keep going down this this infrastructure as code path. And I love that you've you've you highlighted that, right? It's just start there. You know, start with these mundane tasks because that's that's why we call them mundane, right? It's we're doing this a bunch of times a day, and you know, why wouldn't you just get get rid of that and make it scriptable so you can get on to the next step? That sort of theory of mm-hmm. constraints, you know, move move further, you know, uh, attack the constraints, you know, remove it, and then move on to the next one, right? Absolutely. Not only is it freeing you up. Uh, but one of the things you're doing, you know, uh, I think back to a, a company I went to, uh, huge remote workforce, uh, you know, mo- 80, 75, 80% of the company was not in the office, which, you know, allowed us as a, you know, a small business to really have a lot of reach, but they weren't there with the infrastructure every day. So even something as simple as a password policy affected 80% of the company. So when passwords expired, it was a huge pain point. So, you know, that's one of the first PowerShell scripts I ever cobbled together. And, and realistically, that's what you're going to do to start. Unless you come from a programming background, you're going to look at scripts and examples that what other people have done. Check out blogs. Check out GitHub. Uh, VMware has just launched a new uh, uh, script sharing site. Uh, the name slips my head now. Um, so if you know it, feel free to pop it in there, or, or we can pop a link in maybe post-processing. But yeah. Uh, start to pull up examples of things that other people are doing in the community and, and make that work for you. You know, I, I wrote a PowerShell script that sent people an email when their password was going to expire in 10 days. And it literally wiped out about 120 to 150 uh, help desk requests every quarter, you know, every 90 days. And the you would think, oh, that's no big deal. But the amount of street credit gave the IT group that we just saved all of those people this hassle which, you know, they'd get up in the morning and their password was expired. They were not productive for a couple hours. Yeah. Uh, so that affected what they could do. It, it, 
you know, it's a password script that just notifies you. You wouldn't think it's a big deal, but it had a huge uh, impact on the people that it was affecting and gave a lot of credibility that the IT department could work with uh, the, those business groups to really understand what their problems were. And it's it's funny how no matter what these like large scale systems we've got, there's surprisingly little things that we can do. You know, even though we may buy a, a million dollar infrastructure management tool, it it underneath the covers there's these small you know nag processes that 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 stop business from from being productive, right? And that's a that's a perfect mm-hmm. case right there. Yeah. So then. You know, PowerCLI, PowerShell, big things. You know, I did a ton of that. I still continue to do it. I'm not diving back in with some stuff. And you've covered that. You've you've looked at, I've seen you working with Chef. I've seen you working with Puppet. But I want to talk about something really cool that's, you know, making a lot of news lately. And let's talk about Ansible. You, you've got some cool stuff you've done. And, and I really love how you've kind of, you've, not just dived in yourself, but you're really bringing a lot of people towards it. So let's talk about Ansible and, and how you picked that as a, a cool tool and, and how are you using it? Sure. So I uh, actually got introduced to Ansible uh, going on two, two plus years ago now, uh, pretty early in its uh, life cycle. So we the, was at a company, we were looking for a tool to manage uh, our application servers and deploy our application. And over the years, it had been cobbled together with different bash scripts and had grown and grown and grown into this thing that was only usable in production. So we still had all these other environments, development, QA, uh, pre-prod testing uh, that needed to get stood up. And this script wasn't really portable. It was very specific to uh, to production. So we were, you know, Puppet was the obvious choice. Um, but coming from my VMware background, my system administration background, uh, Puppet and Chef were hard for me to pick up. Like I, I, I would look at an example playbook that was supposedly like the simple example, and I was, I just, it didn't make sense. It didn't get it. Uh, maybe I'm dumb. You know, uh, simple is relative, am. right? Like it's, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what a lot of it is. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Ansible was like the new kid on the block uh, in this whole configuration management space. So took a look at that, uh, and uh, one of my coworkers uh, who ended up taking on that project really dug into it and found that it was re- very simple to read and understand uh, parts of the application deployment process that were we had in Bash scripts that I just kind of crossed my fingers and hoped they worked when it ran. <laughs> I could look at an Ansible and actually understood what was going on. And I was like, oh, okay, I see. Oh, that's, so that's what we're doing there. You know, did it make sense in the Bash script? But looking at an Ansible, what they call a playbook, really just made sense. And even uh, to this day, so other groups now uh, that they might ask me a question, you know, I know Ansible, so that loosely means that I'm an expert on, like, you know, uh, Tomcat or so, I guess. Uh, people will come and ask a question, like, what does this parameter mean in Tomcat? And I'm like, you know, I don't know Tomcat, but I'm pretty willing to bet there's somebody's got an Ansible playbook out there to, to do this. So let me go read what they're doing. And, and I've been able to answer questions on what a parameter uh, does or, or which way to set it just by looking at some community uh, examples out there. Uh, galaxy.ansible.com uh, is their kind of community sharing site. Most of them land on GitHub anyways. So I would go in there and look at it and be like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what it does. And we'd go and try it. And sure enough, it, it worked now. Uh, so really, to me, was 
uh, a low barrier to entry. Uh, depend, it, it, you run it on Linux, so there's this uh, concept of a control machine. And that's basically just where, you, where Ansible runs from, right? It's like installing a program. And right now, that has to be Linux. So it's either Ubuntu or uh, some flavor of Red Hat, Fedora, CentOS, whatever it is. You can literally start uh, using Ansible playbooks after a yum install Ansible. And that's really all there is to it. Uh, it you're, you're in production at that point. Um, so very easy to get started with was really the thing for me which, uh, that drew me to Ansible. Now, that's always the fun part of, you know, I like it. It's a single control machine. Uh, it's agentless, which is that's pretty badass, right? If you think about mm -hmm. what a lot of config management solutions, they require you putting agents in there. And, and it's not necessarily, you know, a huge barrier, but it's one less thing to worry about. And Let's touch quickly on, on how it controls it, because right now it does it through remote SSH access. Now, obviously, it manages Linux boxes, ESX boxes and such quite easily, because they already have that in there. And I know on the Windows side, uh, it's doing it things a little bit differently because it's using, is it WinRM that it uses for the remote? Yep, correct. It uses WinRM for, for Windows boxes and, and modules. And I know one of the things that comes up often is you know, is it a security issue, you know, because we have to, you know, leave those, you know, native ports exposed, you know, what, what do you answer to people when they say like, hey, I, I just don't want, you know, security folks are like, I want to shut down remote SSH to everything. What, how sure. do you um, that one? You know, my, my response to that typically is, you know, think of SSH as the agent. Uh, when we're talking, we know SSH, it's common, right? So there's people that are contributing to it, uh, making it better every single day. When bugs come out, they're generally fixed in, in minutes instead of you know weeks or months that it might take a commercial vendor to do. So think of SSH on your endpoints really just as the agent. Uh, and managed properly, you know, if we're talking IP tables or we're talking ACLs on VLANs on your switches or your virtual switches, you can ensure that only your Ansible control machine can get there if you really don't want SSH open. Uh, so you can, uh, it's really no different than an agent, except it's one that's used pretty much across the entire internet. Yeah. Uh, so if there's it's a bug popular, found, you can right? pretty much count on it getting fixed. Uh, you know, if we put, uh, you know, and this is just a design decision, it's not right or wrong in my opinion, but, you know, other tools that use agents, and there's a lot of tools that use agents. There's backup tools that use agents. There's uh, remote access tools that use agents. Uh, there's config management tools that use agents. The antivirus uh, software that uses agents. A lot of things use agents. It's another uh, endpoint that needs to be open on those boxes. So it's really not any different than that. And the flip side as well, uh, so typically you mentioned Ansible controls things through SSH. So that Ansible control machine is initiating SSH connections into your uh, machines that you're controlling or uh, WinRM sessions. There's actually another mode in Ansible uh, that's not often talked about. It's called by uh, Ansible pull. Uh, and you actually uh, install Ansible on those machines and you configure uh, it to pull from a uh, source control repository, Git, GitHub, whatever you're using for source control, to pull the playbooks you've written in and run them locally. So if that's really a huge barrier for you, um, 
and for, you're having reasons, trouble fighting that, that battle for whatever reason, there's, a, there's the other option to have Ansel will pull those things in as well. That's cool. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks may not realize that's a great way to run it as also as, you know, standalone. That's more, especially for, for ones that are out in the cloud, you're less likely to want to pop open access, especially if you don't have a VPC connection. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a really cool way. And like you said, just pop it into GitHub, you know, you know, you've got safety and in, in maintaining because it's key based uh, access via SSH. Life is good that way. So I like it. Now, language-wise, you know, how do you, you, I like the readability of it. How do you, did you find you need to do anything more? You know, how getting started with it versus getting intermediate. What's the, what's the learning curve? Uh, the learning curve, I think, will, uh, will depend on what the application you're ultimately supporting is. Uh, so some of the learning curve stuff for me, um, you know, I've tried to, uh, if I need to deploy something uh, at work or something I might be using at home, I generally try to write an Ansible playbook to deploy it. I just assume I'm going to have to do it again at some point, especially if it's in my lab or if it's at work. So uh, deploying and configuring those applications tends to be that intermediate step. Like, what do I need to do if I'm deploying a Python application? I'm not a Python developer, so some of those concepts might be foreign to me. Um, to configure uh, your virtual environment, your the Python uh, dependencies that the application has, that's kind of some of the intermediate stuff that will really depend on uh, what you're deploying. And at that point, really, my suggestion is, uh, especially for folks that are, that are using this or looking to use this in a production environment, <coughs> sorry, uh, is talk to your developers, right? They know what they're writing the environment and they can really help you. And that's really a good bridge to uh, opening communication channels if they're not already with a QA or a development group that uh, is writing this application and needs IT or release whatever your function is to deploy it. How to really start uh, that open communication and, and work together and kind of that that DevOps model, right? That collaboration model. I love it. You know, amplified feedback loops for the win every time. It's it's just one one you know because yeah. Why should we need to be? We don't need to be experts on it as admins in order to help our development team work. Nor should we expect the developers to have to become administrator you know, experts in order to get their application up and running. It's a tool that you can use on both sides of the of the teams, right? Whether it's a fully DevOps, you know, integrated system, or at least you could say, hey, if, if you folks use this, then when you roll the production, I use the same thing. Uh, it's Absolutely. like that consistency. Because consistency and, and is as much a process as it is a toolkit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and it's, it's important too. I mean, if you think of what developers want to do, they want to write code. They don't want to as easy it's become with a lot of different tools out there, right, to just stand up, uh, you know, a Docker instance or vagrant up a box and in virtual box. It's not hard, but to really ensure that it's configured properly through each step of that uh, application's lifecycle is really important. I've seen teams waste literally days troubleshooting a bug because something wasn't configured properly in the uh, environment supporting the application. So you turn to something like Ansible or Puppet to manage that configuration, developers can ensure that their development environment is configured the exact same way every time. Uh, QA is using the same 
uh, playbook or recipe or manifest, whatever it happens to be, to deploy uh, their environment and configure it the same way every time, deploy their application the same way every time. So when a bug comes up, you know it's a bug. And if they didn't use the tool, um, you can kind of, you can give them the typical, you know, did you update the BIOS answer? You know, did you yeah, run yeah. the playbook? That's if right. they didn't run the playbook, uh, go run the playbook and test again because that's going to make sure everything is done properly. And if it fails, then we've got to fix whatever's failing. And so talk about statefulness inside, you know, the way the playbooks run, uh, you know, obviously Puppet, you know, it, it runs cyclically. So it's, it's continuous configuration management. How does Ansible compare to it as far as, uh, you know, continuous state management uh, and, and how does it mean, not just compares to, but, you know, how does Ansible handle that? Sure. So Ansible is going to go out. So what's in your playbook? Uh, when you read your playbook top to bottom, it's very linear. So the first task in your playbook is the first thing Ansible is going to try to do. Uh, so there's no question about, uh, you know, Ansible is not trying to interpret things for you. So if you, if you need to have Python installed before Apache in your environment for whatever reason, it's not going to assume that you're wrong or you weren't paying attention. It's going to install Python first and it's going to install Apache second. Nice. Uh, you can, uh, you know, the easy way to do it is just, you know, it, it's, it looks very similar to what you might do on the command line. It's, a, it's an apt uh, module or, or yum module. Uh, for Windows, they've, uh, if for folks that haven't heard of it, there's a package management tool called Chocolatey. So if there's uh, things in the Chocolatey repository, you can install stuff there. And you just say state equals present. And if you don't attach a version number to it, it's going to make sure it's the latest version. Or if there's a specific version you need, you can specify that. And it's going to check, is that there? If it is, it's not going to do anything because there's nothing that needs to get done. It's going to move on to the next item in the playbook. And it does that every time you run the playbook. So uh, it's not checking in uh, the same way. That might be an instance if you need a, a specific check-in interval, you might want to use the pull model um, or set up some uh, cron jobs to uh, run a playbook at a specific time and make sure they're all up to date. But it's um, something that you run from initiate from the control machine. Yeah, and and I think that's and that's an important thing as we go as we look towards using it. You know, think of that. You know, if you want to use it as a continuous configuration management, just wrap something into the process to do that. Like I said, run cron, put it as a scheduled task in Windows. Uh, but yeah, that it gives it more the the pull model, especially. You know, I've done that before with with Puppet standalone, like literally just deploy full Puppet and do Git pulls into it to keep the uh, the manifest local so that there's no dependency on a, on a central Puppet master. However, you know, in doing that, you lose some of the reporting thing. Now, what about the reporting and central stuff? Because I know there's Ansible Tower, which is the kind mm -hmm. of the the corporate entity, you know, Ansible as a as an organization, well, now underneath Red Hat, of course, you know, they have their commercial product, which is the the full Ansible Tower, which has the nice GUI. But I know there's some community side stuff that also gives some of that feature set. How do you use any of the GUI side of things, or do you prefer to just kind of tr live in the playbooks and 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 w leave it that way? Uh, I'm uh, I'm currently a live in the playbooks type person. Um, although, depending on your environment, Ansible Tower, uh, I've not checked in the last couple of months, but it's typically been free for up to 10 uh, hosts. So if you've got a small application environment that's less than 10 hosts, you could deploy Ansible Tower uh, and leverage some of those reporting features. Uh, 
from Ansible Tower uh, in your environment. The other uh, cool thing, uh, getting back to just playbooks, uh, is it's also uh, sort of a compliance check tool. Right? So you know how your application environment is supposed to be configured. You know how your Apache web server or your Postgres server is supposed to be configured. When you run that playbook, it's going to give you output back that either something changed, which means it either wasn't set properly or the playbook's never been run, run against it, or it's going to come back and say that's okay. So the state, you know, if this application version needs to be present and it's already there, it's just going to come back and say, okay, so you could run your playbook as often as you want. It's only making changes when something doesn't match. So it's an easy way if somebody walks in and says, my application's not working properly, you're not running the right version of Apache you run your Ansible playbook for that application or that type of system, and if it comes back and everything's okay and you've got the right version of Apache installed or, and defined in your playbook, you can say, no, actually, it's it's okay. You know, nothing changed on that environment. Or you can come back and be like, yep, somebody was in there messing around the way they shouldn't be. Try your application now and see if it's working because uh, everything's back to the baseline that we want to have uh, configured. Yeah, the uh, it's great to have that to be able to say like, yeah, yeah did, have you tried rebooting it? You know, like if, if you run the playbook, run the playbook, see the output, no change in the output. All right, I trust you. You ran the you ran the playbook before. We're cool. Now we can really troubleshoot the actual issue, right? Yep. Nice. Uh, so talk about learning. You know, for folks that want to get started with it, what are what are good resources that you found? Uh, you know get rolling as an as an admin side of it you know and and maybe even other developers you know centric resources what are what are good places you found to go Jonathan so their uh, their documentation site docs.ansible.com is awesome uh, it has everything you actually need to get started to the point where I've started writing a blog post or assumed I was going to write a blog post on something and landed on a doc page, and I'm like, oh, that's actually already written. So uh, <laughs> I guess I'll just link off to that. So the doc site is great. Uh, Ansible Galaxy for uh, playbook examples once you're up and running uh, in your environment is fantastic. Uh, and we've done a few sessions on the vBrown bag, so you can find some uh, Ansible content on professionalvmware.com as well. Nice. Yeah, we'll link to that as well to make sure that people can can dig into that. Uh, you know, version wise, I know we just got the bump up to to 2.0. Uh, how do you have you taken a look at a lot of the feature set that's come along with that, and and what version have you typically run with that in the work that you've done? So in uh, in a lot of cases, my interest has been in the uh, development version. So I've been I generally using cutting edge. Uh, so for example. Uh, they introduced some their first VMware modules uh, about a year ago in, uh, I wanted to say it was 1.8 or 1.9. So I was running that in my environment because I wanted to see how I could use Ansible to uh, deploy and clone and create new virtual machines in the environment, which was some of the first vSphere modules they came out with. Right on. Uh, 2's added a lot of those. Um, just landed last week, week ago. Yeah. Uh, maybe a week and a half ago. Uh, so, as most things, I'm giving it a few days to let the dust settle and, and bugs get worked out. Uh, but there's a lot of new modules in there, uh, a lot of new Windows modules as well. So if you're managing a Windows environment or a Linux environment, Windows is starting to catch up. Uh, the uh, Windows, there's a, a script module. Uh, so if you've got PowerShell or PowerCLI scripts, you're already using. Uh, and there's not a module in Windows yet for that, you can actually uh, trigger PowerShell scripts from Ansible uh, on your Windows box. So you could kind of have like a, 
almost like a Windows control machine of sorts that you're uh, using that WinRM connection from Ansible to the Windows box to, to execute those PowerShell scripts. Uh, so that's one way to do stuff, which obviously then opens up a lot of opportunity for vSphere management because you've probably got a Windows boxer or two running vCenter in your environment, so you could actually kick off uh, PowerShell scripts uh, right on your vCenter server to do some some change or some deployment or, or make sure something's set up properly. Nice. Yeah, that's the it's the true cross-platform pieces, and I know that uh, Microsoft is committed to rolling OpenSSH into Windows going forward as part of you know when that'll actually get delivered, of course. But they've been pretty good at at going from vaporware to delivery. You know, we used to joke about that, but now like they're actually landing, and their open source side is is growing a lot. So I'm pretty pretty jazzed to see that that's going to be there soon because then we've got you know one one protocol to rule them all so to speak right yeah absolutely now community wise because that's a huge part of any any product we take on any any new system that we want to adapt to it's good to know that you've got a community wrapped around it how have you found the ansible community and and are there good places to go that you know, or meetups and stuff like that. If you, how how has your community experience been around the Ansible product? Uh, very good. You know, there's uh, we've got a local meetup here in the Boston area. So meetup.com. Uh, if you're looking for a local Ansible meetup or or starting one of your own, uh, there's a bunch of different meetups on that site. So uh, if there's not one specific to Ansible or or some other tool in your area, there might be a more general. Uh, DevOps or operations meetup that you can uh, hop into. Uh, I've gotten a lot of good uh, feedback from different people on Twitter. You know, they're uh, they're now with Red Hat, but you know, beforehand we're a fairly young company, so they weren't huge. But uh, they've got a lot of folks uh, out on Twitter. Uh, so if you're if you're there from uh, connecting with virtualization folks, you can probably get uh, your questions answered on Ansible there as well. And then GitHub. So if you've uh, you know, if you're looking at a module or some documentation that's not right, you can uh, you can you can open an issue on GitHub there, and, and and they're very active and responsive there as well. I uh, I had actually my first pull request uh, ever accepted, uh, and it was just a, a simple documentation error. They changed uh, something in 2.0, uh, and the documentation was still referencing the 1.0 way to change it. So I phone the repository, made the fix, and opened up a pull request, and sure enough, within about an hour, they uh, they merged that into the official Ansible documentation, so that's awesome. Uh, they're out there as well, yeah. Wow, congratulations. And if you're not familiar with, Git, if you're not familiar with GitHub as well, uh, we, V. Brown Bag did a, uh, a series this past December uh, called Commitness. Uh, we did uh, 20 podcasts uh, through the month of December, one every weeknight, basically, for the entire month of December. We gave folks uh, also made the weekends off, but uh, so there's a lot of GitHub content. If you're not familiar uh, or still uncomfortable with GitHub, to uh, you can check out uh, Bitly slash Commitments Two with an uppercase C uh, to, to see all the recordings there. Nice, that's awesome. Yeah, and I remember I did uh, one of those sessions, and and I love the the really short, you know, small form factor delivery of the content there. The team, uh, you know, really nailed it by covering just a real soup to nuts kind of, you know, GitHub orama for uh, for that month. So uh, you know, really great work by you and the community for for rolling and with that and and keeping that going and seeing the the growth from from last year because was it 12 days of commitments last year now it's 30 days <laughs> yep uh you can thank cody bunch for that one uh 
I think he tweeted something along the lines to me when we were talking about ramping commitments back up for this year of maybe we should do a podcast every night. And uh, after I tried throwing a, a rock from Massachusetts to Texas, I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good challenge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cody has a good way of volunteering people to, to get stuff done. <laughs> and uh, yep. you can't refuse him because you know that he he would never ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself or he's already in the process of doing and, and he just wants a little mm-hmm. bit of a, of a bump. So Cody is always a, a community rock star around that. As are you and the team, the V Brown Bag folks are, are great resources. So yeah, we'll make sure we point people to to some of the stuff with Commitments and with Ansible. Uh, this is great, Jonathan. Thanks very much for taking the time. We're uh, we're coming up to the end here. Uh, you know, again, you know, for folks that aren't already looking at Ansible uh, and automation in general, this is a great place to to start. Uh, you've given some great tips. I love your view on it, you know, treating the admin view with a development, you know, awareness is a real strong piece. Uh, and then hopefully the development folks, you know, kind of reach in and say, hey, yeah, we like this tool versus this one. And, and it gives us all a chance to to work together and achieve this magical DevOps hope that that we keep getting sold, uh, you know, but it's it works. It works and even in small ways. So, yep, absolutely. So, Jonathan, where do we find you uh, in the coming times? Uh, you know, I know we you're uh, you're you're local to the Boston region. Uh, we probably have some VMugs coming up, and and you know, so where where do we find you in, in the next little while online? Uh, next little while, uh, uh, always on uh, Twitter at jfrapier. Uh, I was told today that I'm up to twenty seven thousand tweets. I guess uh, so. Apparently, I'm active on there. Nice. Uh, I'll be. Uh, I'm actually live at the New England Virtualization Technology User Group right now, uh, where I uh, did a panel discussion this morning with the uh, folks that run the uh, New England VTUG, and I'll be uh, in February at the first ever Providence DevOps Meetup. So if you're in the uh, New England area, uh, Rhode Island, Providence, uh, Massachusetts, Connecticut, you know, swing on by, and 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 we can catch up there as well. That's cool. Yeah. So we'll, we'll drop the link to that. Hopefully this was it's one of those classic things, depending on the timing that hopefully this goes up before then, uh, the, the, <laughs> the magical time machine of, of podcast production. Uh, but that's great. So again, yeah, thank you, Jonathan, uh, for folks that want to find out more, of course, as mentioned, you know, follow Jonathan on Twitter, uh, reach out to us through the green circle community. Uh, you can, you can get a hold of me, uh, you know, jump on the green circle, drop me a message. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Disco Posse. Uh, we've got lots of good stuff that's coming up. This is a great feeder to a lot of other stuff. And we've covered, you know, out of the caps group, you know, we've, we haven't done chef and uh, salt yet. We've got Ansible and puppet representation. So this is a shout out to the chef folks and to the salt folks. Let's get on it and let's uh, let's do the four-way. So uh, looking forward to doing that. Uh, so if you want to see more, go to greencircle.vmturbo.com. And of course, to get subscribed to the podcast, go to gconddemand.io. If you haven't already, subscribe through iTunes. Uh, we also have a link to uh, the Stitcher on there. So you can listen however you like on your sort of uh, iOS or uh, Android device of choice or however you want to consume us. So thanks uh, from all of the Green Circle team. And Jonathan, thank you very much for taking the time out today. Thanks, Eric. Have a great day. And thanks for having me on. Thank you. You're listening to the